Morning, Ambassador Church. Good to see you. Hope you are doing well and having a good week. So today is the, uh, the start of Ray's sabbatical. So Pastor Ray will be on sabbatical for the next three months. So please keep him in your prayers that he will find rest and enjoy this time with his family. You know, it's, uh, it's funny, we uh, always joke about his last sabbatical. His last sabbatical was about six years ago, and you know, he was worried when he went on sabbatical that, uh, that what would happen to the church. And so I was very happy to report when he came back, the church actually grew while he was gone. And I let him know that, how important I was. And then the next year I went on sabbatical, and the church grew even more. <laughs> so eh, we'll see, maybe we're not that important. But we, uh, we have a great church, and you guys are, are a part of it. Thank you for uh, your support. And even last week, I talked to you. We had kind of had a revision Sunday, and I said, I need, you know, so many of you guys just to help. I know so many of you volunteer in many places, but we have more needs and more things we'd like to do. And even this week, so many of you guys jumped into that and seen some people even today getting trained. So I'm excited for that. We're going to have another opportunity, not like we need any special event to get people to volunteer, but we'll have another one at the end of the month another chance to um, find some places to serve. So think about it, pray about it. Let me know if you have any questions. But this, this month we're calling Revision. And so last week, Pastor Ray talked about the vision of the church and just resetting who we are, where we're going, and what we're doing. We had a vote last week, and you voted yes on the budget. Thank you for doing that. Our budget is now implemented for this new year, so that's great. We also had a vote on this multi-congregational model and that passed as well. There were a few of you who had some questions, just wondering, you know, how this is all going to work and that kind of thing. And, and we heard that. And the plan was anyway for this year just to kind of work out what this means, to have one church, two campuses, what that means for the future and that kind of thing. So we'll be talking about it, working through it. We'll be bringing some stuff to you throughout the year. If you have any questions, please let us know. Today, we are continuing this revision series. It'll last through this whole month, and we're looking at some of those core, the DNA of who we are as a church. So if you, if you know or you've heard these three M's, uh, they may, hopefully they sound familiar, but multi-ethnic. We are a multi-ethnic church. We are not a Korean church. We're not a Chinese church. We're not an Asian church. We're not a white church. We're not a Hispanic church. We are a multi-ethnic church. So we'll talk about that. That is our topic for today. We, next week will be uh, 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 missional, about how we are all part of God's mission. We all have something to do in a, in a way to serve in God's mission. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's for all of us. And then the last week, we'll talk about multiplying. We're a multiplying church. And that's not just multiplying churches and campuses, but it's multiplying disciples. All those things are wrapped up in it. So just as a disclaimer, just to let you know, no surprises. Today, I'm here. I'm talking about multi-ethnic church. Over in Brea, our other campus, is Pastor Mike Glime. He's talking about being missional. So if you talk to somebody in Brea, they intentionally have a separate message today. Next week, I'm going to be over there talking about multi-ethnic, and he'll be here talking about missional. So just so you know, in case you're like, hey, I want to go see the Brea campus, if you go there next week, you're going to hear the exact same sermon. The same jokes, everything. There's nothing new. So just plan on coming back here next week. Sound good? So with that, why are you here today? Why are you an ambassador church 
today? Probably all of you have some different answers. For some of you, you are here because your friends are here. Your family is here. Someone invited you. So there's a relation, relational pool or a reason why you're here. For some of you, this is the, like the closest church to your house. You know? <laughs> you live, I know there's some that live literally right across the street. I can see their house. And so there's some people here for that reason. But there's lots of reasons. One reason that I think some of you are probably here is because we are multi-ethnic. That we are something a little different than maybe you grew up in or something that you've been studying or you've had an interest or passion and that's why you're here. I had breakfast with someone this week and I asked him the same question and he said, we entered into Google, we did a Google search saying multi-ethnic churches. That was about five years ago and this was the first on the list because we start with A, <laughs> right? So they started coming here and they've been here ever since. That's actually my story too. That's why I'm here. That's one of the reasons that attracted me, gosh, almost 13 years ago that I've been here. I was a pastor at a church down in Orange County, was serving down there for 13 years. And during that time, around 2005, I just started reading books. There was a whole uh, emerging church movement, and a lot of this, the conversation was on this topic of being multi-ethnic and racial reconciliation and diversity and things like that. And so those are the books I was reading. And I looked at my church. I loved it. I loved being there, but I wanted something more. I wanted something more diverse. So I started putting my resume out and sending it out to different places. And I remember I was in New Orleans was in 2006. I was there for a conference. I was in a hotel room with a another pastor, a pastor from Colorado. I knew him a little bit, but we weren't really close friends. And I opened up my email, and I got a, this email came in from Ray Chang saying, I would like to interview or you talk to you about coming on to our staff. I didn't know about this church. I mean, I knew the youth pastor here, so I, I knew the name, but that's the only thing I knew. And so I said to this roommate, said, hey, I just got a church that wants to talk to me. He said, well, what church is it? I said, it's Ambassador Church. He's like, oh, Ray Chang's church. That's great. You, he's a great guy. You should work with him. I'm like, how do you know? You're in Colorado, you know? And he's like, yeah, Ray gets around, you know? People know Ray. So I'm like, all right, let's have a conversation. So we talked. At this time, the church was over in Buena Park. We met over there at that El Torito. We had some conversations, and this is one of the things that really pulled on my heart. So I said yes. I took the job, and I remember bringing our, our family to church, and I, I have this, this picture in my mind. I don't think it's a real picture. I think it's just kind of that was one of those mental pictures that you have, but I remember my daughter. She was, at the time, she was one years old. And she was in the nursery, and she was lined up. They were, all the kids were lined up getting their little snack. And I just remember just seeing, you know, black hair, black hair, black hair, black hair, black hair, blonde, pale skin, <laughs> black hair, black hair, black hair. And I remember, like, my heart being warmed and saying, that's why I'm here. Was it a multi-ethnic church then? Probably not but they had this desire. They wanted to be, and that's why they wanted me. That's part of the reason why they wanted to bring someone on staff like myself. So that's why I'm here. It's one of the things that keeps me here. There's a lot of things that keep me here, but I'm just so thrilled to be a part of a church like this. I'm gonna tell a little more of the story and 
a little more of our background and where we, why our church got to this point. But let me just stop and I'm going to clarify some terms for you. Because when we talk about multi-ethnic, there's other terms that pop up and sometimes they're confusing. Are they interchangeable? Do they mean different things? So here's the multi-terms that we're using. So multi-ethnic. It's a church made up of multiple ethnic groups that worship in the language of the dominant group. So there's one language. So for us, it's in English. But we have people from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnic, different cultural groups. So that's an ethnic church or a multi-ethnic church. A, a multicultural church is, looks similar, but it's going to have different languages. So they'll have a service at, you know, 10 o'clock that's in Mandarin. They'll have a service at 11 that's in English, or they'll have, you know, two services at the same time in different places, uh, a Hispanic and Korean service, but all in their own languages. Now, they're not rentals, it's not a church that's renting to all these different churches of different ethnic groups, but it's one church that's embracing this but has it in different languages. Okay, so that would be a multicultural church. Multiracial is, it, I guess it could mean many things, but when it's used in America, it's, it's, it's really talking mainly about a church that's African-American and white, that there's those, those two races, although technically it could probably be any two races coming together, but in America, it's mainly a, a church that's made up of white and black. So those are some of the, the terms. Multiculturalism is often used in this conversation, but that's really not helpful as we're talking about churches. That's more a cultural word. It would carry into that sexual ethics and things like that too. So for us, kind of multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial, those are the churches we're talking about. Now, one more definition for you. What is exactly a multi-ethnic church? How is that defined? Like, what are the numbers? Does it have to be a certain number to be multi-ethnic? And if so, what are those numbers? Well, there's a little disagreement on some of those. I mean, of course, everybody has a different opinion on what that means. But the general agreed-upon number is this. Sociologists define a multi-ethnic church as being one in which no one ethnicity makes up more than 80% of the whole. So an 80-20 rule. So if you have a church that's more than 80% of one background, race, or culture, then it's not. It's a mono-ethnic church or something like that. But to be multi-ethnic, you have to have 80% or less of one culture and then 20% or more of others. So with that, how does ambassador rank? Where are we? Are we a multi-ethnic church? I have the numbers, but I'll, I'll show this. These are the numbers of our members, okay? Of, and I don't mean, by members, I don't mean just attendees, people that come, and because we have people that attend the church that have been here for 20 years. Well, I guess, yeah, almost 20 years. Been here for a long time, but they've never gone through essentials or been interviewed or signed the covenant that they're a member. So these numbers are all our members, people that have gone through that course. We have 144 members in our church. So these are the numbers from that group. We are 58% Asian. I'm going to break that Asian down in just a minute. 58% Asian, 34% Caucasian, 6% Hispanic, 1% African American. So with those numbers, are we a multi-ethnic church? Yes, we are. 
So we, we made the cut, right? Uh, what about this? What's our, our background? This is just interesting. Some people say, well, how, you know, what's the Asian breakdown at our church? And here's where we're at with our members. 51% Korean, 41% Chinese, and then uh, 7% uh, other, so Filipina, Vietnamese, Japanese, and others. So that's kind of where we're at as a church. So I, found, I heard first service, a few people found that interesting just because I always wonder. But remember, if you look around at the total number, that might be different, but this is just our members. Anyway, what's the history of this? Why is this part of our DNA? I mean, like, we could have been anything. You know, Pastor Ray could have picked any three DNA, any, picked any letter of the alphabet and found three things, but he picked M. Multi-ethnic is our first one. Why did he pick this? Well, it's certainly it's been a conversation for years and years and years. I mean, Martin Luther King was one who we often think about going back to him where he said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. So that, that was many years ago, right, over 50 years ago. But really in the, I'd probably say 80s, 90s, this started becoming a conversation in our culture. Promise keepers, if you remember that little part of Christian history back in the 90s and so, they were big into this. If you went to a Promise Keepers event, it was at stadiums packed with men, and they had speakers and worship, this was one of their topics. It was racial reconciliation and having that a part of our daily conversations and dialogue. And that was, and it wasn't just between ethnic groups, but even through people and people groups as well. So that was a big part of it. But it continued past that. In the year 2000, there was a book that was put out called Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. And they were the ones, this is kind of the, the main book that when we look out at that timeline, that they really broke down what was happening in America. And they said at the time of that publication, so really in the late 90s, that, that 92% of churches in America were monoethnic. Just, they had their one ethnic group. There was really just about 6% of churches in America that were, would be considered multi-ethnic, that 80-20 rule. Probably most of them, I mean, I'm sure some were intentional back then, but probably most of them were by accident. They were just put maybe in the inner city, or maybe there weren't a lot of choices of churches, and it just came together. But back there, at the turn of this last century, about 6% of churches in America were multi-ethnic. But here's what the authors wrote. This is kind of their conclusion, that really the church is kind of unintentionally not really helping things in society, that they're letting the inequalities continue. They argue that the church is a sleeping giant in the effort to dismantle institutional racism in the U.S., saying that there is this, this racism that's continuing, and the church is really not doing anything about it. They're not in the conversation. And so their conclusion at the end of this whole book is this. The best thing the church can do is start planting multi-ethnic churches across America. That's the best thing that can happen. Ambassador Church started just three years after that. They were already meeting at this time, but we started three years officially after that. And so with all of this stuff coming and all these conversations happening in this book that's going out there saying, you, the church is not doing anything, and you can do something. If you start being a little more multi-ethnic in your worship, that will make a big difference in where we're at. So what has happened since then? 
we, I was looking this week at some stats, and I kept, I kept getting stopped at 2012. That's kind of the last place where all these, you know, the last group of studies was done, and I'm like, there's got to be something more recent than that. And so I reached out to one of my friends who's definitely a, a national leader in this conversation, and he said, you're in luck. Like four days ago, a new study was published. And so here's, here's the, it may not have even been four days, it was like the day before that. It says, here's the latest as of right now. Here's where we're at in America with evangelical churches. Remember 21 years ago, we were at 6%. Right now, we're at 23%. 23% of the evangelical churches in America are, would be considered multi-ethnic. I think that's great. Isn't that great? That's some good movement. Now, there's still a long ways to go, right? Catholics, the Catholic church, they're just right ahead of us, just barely by a percentage. The mainline Protestant, that's your Episcopalian, Methodist, Presbyterian, they've got a lot of work to do. They're at 11%. So for whatever reason, they're a little further behind in that conversation, but Ambassador Church is right there in the mix of all that. And so in my conversations with Ray going way back 13 years ago and even this week as we're talking about this topic, I, I keep asking him, like, why this? Why was this so important to you? And really, here's what he would say, and I, I agree with this totally. He says, the church lives in between the Great Commission and the Great Culmination, I'll talk about that in a second. The, we live right between the Great Commission is when Jesus sent the disciples out and go and make disciples and the great culmination that in the book of Revelation when heaven is you know, kind of gathering and the people are gathering and the, what that looks like. And so to break that down, is just you've heard this before probably many times, but in the Great Commission, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he says this, that I am sending you out, right? I'm giving you authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey these words. So he didn't say, just go and make disciples in Jerusalem, or he didn't say, just go make disciples in Israel, which was probably what it would have been translated in the Old Testament. I mean, that was really the model. He's given them a new model. He's saying, go beyond to all the nations. And when he ascends to heaven in Acts 1.8, he says, I'm sending you out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, out, going way out, go to the ends of the earth to take this message. This message is for all people. That was the beginning of the church. But how does it end? What's it look like in heaven? Well, Revelation 3 gives us the great, probably the best picture. He says this, that John, he looked, he saw this great multitude that no one could count. So they were from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and worshiping him. This is clearly a picture of believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus. And, and John's like, I can't even count how many people there are. Too, too high, too high of a number. But here's what I can distinguish, that they're from different nations. They speak different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds. 
So right there in heaven, you have this picture of this group of people all worshiping God but looking different, coming from different places. And you might say, okay, well, that's how they entered in, but now they're part of the kingdom of God, and now heaven starts, and now we're just all one people. You know, we all have the same exact skin color, you know, tone and all that kind of thing. We all speak the same language. And I think that's how we think of it. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, actually. You know, what color skin are we going to have and all that kind of stuff. I have thought about, like, what language, you know, and I'm pretty sure it won't be English. Pretty sure. (laughs) I see in Revelation that sometimes the angels speak with, like, trumpets, you know, sounds of trumpets and all that. So maybe we'll sound more like instruments. I don't know. However, in Revelation 21... It does say when the nations are coming and they're worshiping, they're worshiping uh, the Lamb, it says the nations will walk by its light. This is in heaven. And it says the nations will walk. And so I don't know why it's important for John to include that or for Jesus to reveal that to him. But for some reason, he's saying, I still see these nations that are led. They're a little distinct from each other. And they're led by the light, the light of Christ. And so as far as we can gather, that not only just when heaven starts, but throughout eternity, there's this distinction of nations. And so for Pastor Ray, when he's looking at, here's what the church is called to do, go and make nations, and then what it looks like at the end, there's people of all nations, but Pastor Ray's heart and desire was that, why do we got to wait till heaven to be worshiping together? Why can't we do that now? What if we had a church that had people from all the nations, from all different groups. We can start heaven now. That was his dream. That was his plan. And that's why this has made it into our DNA. We're living between this great commission and the great culmination. For me, that's an exciting time. That's why I'm here. So that was all introduction. Now on to the rest. And I promise it'll be just as long, uh, or not long. It won't be any longer than that. Don't worry. Um, But it's important just to look at God's heart. We're going to look at God's heart. We're going to look at Jesus' vision. We're going to look at the church, the early church, and how how they did that. But first, God's heart is for diversity. Sometimes we might think that this just happens by accident. You know, God put Adam and Eve and just said, all right, let's see what happens. Let's see where they go. Let's see what they kind of build for themselves and all that. But we really see when we look in the book of Genesis in chapters mainly 10, 11, and 12, we see that really is not just accidental, that God has a, a hand in this, a very intentional hand to bring this diversity in this world. Chapter 10 talks about the big picture, what happens. And it just really says that people scattered around the earth. They scattered, they had their own uh, language, they had their own nations. And he repeats this thing three times. He says three times in, the, in chapter 10 that each has its own language by their clans, by their nations. It's intentional. When it's repeated three times, the same lines, you know that there's an intention behind that. That was God's plan. So chapter 11 explains how it happens. Chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. It said before they were scattered, they all had the same language. They all lived in the same place. They all came together and they said, you know what? Let's make our name great. We're going to build something amazing. We're going to build a tower, a tower that's going to reach up to heaven. And in a sense, that's like we're going to become gods. So they start building this tower. But God sees that and he says, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. So he confuses them. 
all of their languages are changed. They can't communicate. And if you ever tried to build something with someone that has no idea what you're saying, it's tough. And so they said, okay, forget it. Let's just group into people that we can understand and let's just go spread out. And so that's what they did. It wasn't a punishment. It was part of God's plan, his heart for diversity. Because then from that we come in chapter 12, the next chapter, and then God calls someone from one of these nations with one of these languages, a man named Abram. He says, Abram, come, 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 come over here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to all people on this earth. From you, this nation of Israel will grow. From them, there will be a blessing on the earth. And ultimately, someone's going to come from that nation, from the line of David, and going to bless all the nations. That's Jesus Christ. But he had this plan to bring Abram to build this new nation. And that's what the rest of Genesis explains. It shows how this nation of Israel came into being. It explains how they went to Egypt. And when we open up the book of Exodus, we see here they are. Now this nation is stuck in, in Egypt. And they have to get out. They're crying. They're crying for release. And we're wondering how do they get from there to the promised land. But God would send them out. But here's a very important thing to see. When he sends them out, when that group of people, some people say it's a million plus, maybe two million people leave, right? Plus all the livestock. I mean, this is a big deal. In that group of this million to two million people, it's not just the Israelites. It's not just them. I've always thought that. I've always pictured that, you know, in my mind over these years. But when you look at that Exodus, in chapter 12, verse 37, it says this, that an ethnically diverse group also went with them, and very much livestock. The people of Israel left with this ethnically diverse group. Some translations say a mixed multitude. What is a mixed multitude? Saying Egyptians... And all kinds of other people that found themselves in Egypt that were attracted to this. So there were some Egyptians, we don't know the whole story, but for some reason they said, I am I'm aligning with you. I'm part of your family. And with that, Moses, he had two wives who were not from the nation. They were foreigners. David, I'm sorry, Joseph, he was, he was married to Potiphar's daughter, from them, two lines come out, two tribes which are half and half. They're mixed. So in this whole group, there's this whole this diversity that's growing right there in Egypt, or right there in, the, in, in, in Egypt and in the nation of Israel. And God has this warning. It's not so much not to intermingle with foreigners, but don't intermingle with their gods. That's where he drew the line. And so right there at the beginning as he created this nation, it was diverse already. And they were to be a blessing to the world. So we see right at the beginning of the Old Testament, God has this heart for diversity. Perhaps we should too as well. Perhaps that's something that we need to care about. Well, Jesus elaborates on it. As we get into the New Testament and we get into the Gospels, we see Jesus' vision for diversity. That he is right there with it. Obviously, he has the heart of God, but he also has this desire, this vision of what this will look like. 
on his last night on earth, what does he pray for? In John 17, it tells us, this is his last formal prayer before he goes to the cross. And in this formal prayer, he prays for three things. He prays, one, for himself, that he will be obedient. He prays, secondly, for his disciples that are right there. They would follow the example that he's laid out. They would walk in the Spirit. But the third thing is he prays for the church. He prays for us. This is amazing because this is still so many years down the road. But he prays for us. It says this in verse 20 of John 17. It says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So from the message of the disciples, those people, the early church, and onward even to us today. And here's his prayer, that they would all be one. That they would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So there's, he repeats it again. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Twice he says that they would be one. One time he says that they would be unified. Here's Jesus' vision for the church, that we'd be made up of all kinds of people, all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles and everything else, that they would be one in alignment, that they would be one in unity. They would walk together and love each other. Why? So that the world would know the gospel. The world would see that God is at work. Really, we... It, sh- it seems like it shouldn't be that crazy of an idea for people from different groups to come together, but when we look at history, worldwide history, going all the way back, even to now, and we still see that people struggle with this idea of being diverse and living together. We still struggle with it. And God knows that, and Jesus knows that, and he says, but this is, this is huge, If you guys can accomplish this, if you guys as a church can be one, if you can be unified, that's a huge apologetic to this world. That I exist and that I'm loving and I'm kind and patient. We have that chance. So that's why we desire multi-ethnic churches. John Perkins was a civil rights leader Martin Luther King and some others got a lot of the credit, but he was right there, and he's still alive. He's writing. He's worth the read, if you're interested. But he says this. He says, when diverse believers who have worked, played, eaten side by side throughout the week segregate themselves from one another on Sunday mornings, the gospel is betrayed For if the gospel does not bring us into relationship with God and with one another, it's no gospel at all. That's pretty powerful. What he's saying is that if we are in Christ, that we need to be one with anyone else who is in Christ, no matter what they look like. But when we refuse, 
And we refuse to say that and say, no, I'm not going to associate with them. They might be Christian or whatever, but they're different. The gospel loses power. It's more powerful when we come together as one in unity. That's Christ's vision. So we see God's heart. We see Jesus' vision. How did the early church do? What, what's their example of this? Well, it's, it shows that it's hard. It's hard. As we read the Gospels, as we read Acts, as we read the, the epistles, we see that they, they certainly got started on the right track. I think they had the right heart, but it was tough. They struggled. They stumbled along the way. But they got moving. It all happened at Pentecost. That as they're all together, they're in Jerusalem, they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit comes on them with this wind and it puts this little tongue of fire on their head. Remember what it says next? Is that that's when they learned the other languages. God gave them the ability to speak in other languages. Acts tells us that there's people in Jerusalem from all kinds of nations. He lists several of them. Different languages, different places. And they walk by, they hear what's going on, and they're like, I understand you. And the other guys, I understand you. What are you saying? And they start talking the gospel. They start sharing about Jesus Christ. And right there, Jesus is helping and empowering them to take this message of the gospel to the nations, the nations that had already gathered. That was the first step. And now they're going to go out and take this gospel to the other places, to the ends of the earth. That's what they were called to do. Through Acts, you see Peter finally breaking out of the Jewish uh, bubble that he's in, and he's taking the gospel now to the Gentiles, which is a huge thing. For all of history, all of Israel's history, they kept it internal, right? And now they're taking it out. And he takes it out, and people come to know Christ, and the Holy Spirit is in that. And they get some success, but then a little bit, there's some persecution, and you kind of see Peter shrink back until Paul challenges him. And then Paul says, hey, I'm going to be the one that's going to take this to the Gentiles. And he takes this gospel all the way to Rome. It was a challenge, but they believed in it. They fought for it. They died for it, taking the gospel to the world. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he says, For he himself, for Christ, he is our peace, who has made the two groups one, is destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's taking away this hostility. He's bringing peace. It says, He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. He's tearing down those walls. That's where the church began. That's where the church grew. And now, how are we doing? How are we? We have challenges, right? Being a multi ethnic church has challenges. There's an author, he was a missionary in, in the 70s, he was writing on not on this topic, but on church growth. And he was saying that here's the, the biggest obstacle to church growth is diversity. If I want to build a church quickly, I will do it with one group of people. That can grow. It's easy. 
They all understand each other. There's not language issues. There's not cultural. There's not misunderstandings. The fastest way to grow a church is just with one people group. But he says, but I don't think that's what the gospel calls us to do. The gospel calls us to take the the message to the nations and to worship together with the nations. But that's an obstacle. We like being comfortable, don't we? We like being comfortable. And the church has been comfortable for a very long time. We know how to operate in our own ethnic groups, but when we mix ethnic groups, there's all kinds of struggles. There's offenses. And that's the second thing. We don't want to get uncomfortable. We don't want to offend. But if we're going to have a multi-ethnic church, those things are just going to happen. We just got to get used to it. How does this happen here? Uh, many ways. I, I, some of these things are funny. I'm going to share a couple things, and I, I hope I don't offend <laughs> I don't offend you, but they, they happen. You know, growing up, uh, you know, Caucasian guy, white church, white home, we didn't take our shoes off. I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to take your shoes off the front door, but we didn't do it. I didn't ever grow up that way. And then, and I, you know, I think I had friends that were Asian, but I, don't, I never took off my shoes there. I'd never, I didn't catch the subtle cues of all the shoes by the front door, you know. <laughs> Well, I was a high school kid. I mean, what do I know? I didn't catch any subtle cues. But we bring that. We bring that even in the church. And then we go to a small group. We go to a small group at someone's house, and we just march right in, pass right by 50 shoes sitting there, and just march right in, sit on the couch with their you know, feet up on, the, on, on everything. And I'm sorry for that. I've been corrected, too, and I appreciate it. It's like, excuse me, can you take your shoes off and leave my, oh, I'm so sorry. But I know, talking to all of our, our Caucasian pastors, they've all done it. All right, so we apologize for that. But those are the things that happen. There's another funny story. I won't tell you who it was. But was invited over to someone's house for, for lunch, and they, they said, hey, I just want to make sure. Are you, you okay with, like, Asian food, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 I love it. It's great. They sat before him, and then he's looking at it, and he's going, wait, I don't know how to use chopsticks. All right, do you, ha- do you have any forks? <laughs> I like Asian food with forks. I can't, I don't know how to use these. You know, and it was, it's all an embarrassing thing. And, you know, and like the host was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. But those things will happen. They will happen. We'll also say things that just might, you know, in our minds that's not offensive, but we just don't know. Some, some people have more tact than others, but it's a learning experience. I, uh, I didn't share this first service. I wasn't sure if I should or not, but I, you can just please go with me. This wasn't our church, but I, I just literally, I bumped into a friend who was a pastor on, what, Tuesday night, and we were just talking, and he was telling me that their church is in the middle of doing something like this. They're merging together, and he said they were having these conversations, and the pastor, very well-meaning man, a white man in his 70s, and they were talking, and he just said, well, I hope we can get this done in the year of the pig. You know, let's get this done, you know. And, and some of them were like, wait, what, can you say that? Is that right, you know? And like some were maybe a little, like you could see like the, the stirring of kind of like these feelings. But for him, he literally was just like, I'm trying to, you know, embrace. I'm trying, I'm trying to learn and all that kind of thing. But it maybe didn't come off right. But those kinds of things will happen. 
And can we, can we be a church that allows that, just says, yeah, I'm, I'm okay to be a little uncomfortable. It'll happen both ways, but can we, can we get past that for the sake of something better? I have many more stories, but we'll, you get the point, right? Some of the obstacles is we just don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to uh, offend and all that, but if we're going to go this direction, we have to get uncomfortable, and we're going to have some of these awkward conversations. So... Let me close with this. Let me give you four things that we can do to grow as a, as a healthy, multi-ethnic church, right? Listen, they're all L's. Listen, lean, love, and lead. Okay, so here's what I, I want us to do. One, I want us to listen to each other. Hear the stories. Hear each other's stories. We had a little preview of this, this Christmas, that we had Christmas around the world, and we had five weeks of different families sharing a little of their background, like how Christmas influenced their culture, and it was, it was exciting, it was fun, but that's just a little bit. Keep that conversation going. Ask questions. How did your ancestors get here? We probably all have a story there. For some, it involves persecution. For some, it involves other things. But there's stories. Let's hear the stories. Listen, ask. Ask about how it was growing up. What was it like here? What was it like for you, whether you're a minority or the majority? What were some hard things? What were some of the, the biggest struggles you had? What were some of the blessings that you had? Let's listen to each other's stories. I think it's exciting. Let's have open, safe, honest conversations. That's the first thing. The second thing is lean. What do I mean by lean? What I mean is we got to lean into it. we got to lean towards each other, not away. You know, when you are in a conversation and you, you're leaning forward, you're right there, and then they say something offensive, what do you do? Lean back, you know, cross the arms. And what I am encouraging us is have these conversations but lean into it. And, and if there's something that's just not right, ask about that. Because I would say most of the time it's good intentions, it's just naive or we're just not sure. But, but lean into these conversations. Lean into each other. I know that our defenses, what we want to do when, we are, when there's an awkward conversation or someone's just a little different than us, we tend to avoid. We avoid them. And I'm sure it has never happened here. I'm sure you've never come to church and said, I don't want to talk to that person. I'm going to go around the other side of that planter. Well, guess what? We took the planter out. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. But pay attention to that. I had a seminary professor that was talking to our class. I don't remember a lot of things from seminary, but this is one of those things I remember. She said, when you're at church and you see that person, and your first reaction is to avoid, to go around the long way or go out the other door. Pay attention because that is not from Christ. Satan wants us to be divided. He wants us to, to, to build this division and set things on fire, and then he's just warming his hands at that fire, just pleased at our divisions and our fighting. But we've got to embrace we got to go towards people. We have to lean in, embrace. So that's what I mean. We have to listen. We have to lean in towards them. So 
we do that, I think the third one comes naturally. We love them. This is our purpose. We want to love each other, like genuinely love and genuinely appreciate each other's differences. I want to celebrate your differences. I don't want you all just to be like me or you know, like each other. I want us to be different. And I've told this to our youth group so many times. You know, our youth group, I would say, is not multi-ethnic, right? It's very, um, it's very, very Korean for the most part. But I've told them, we are not, this is not a Korean youth group. Don't, but don't make it a white youth group. Don't make it Chinese. Don't make it Hispanic. But take the best of all these different groups and put them together. Make something new. Make something exciting. And that's the same thing for us. Like, let's learn from each other. What can we learn? One thing that I found out is that each culture has this very specific and different way of worshiping and praying in particular. To me, it's exciting to see how different cultures pray and learning from their worship and the, taking the best of those things and putting them together. So let's be part of each other's lives. Let's love each other. Let's worship together. Last one is this. We need to lead. Lead. We need to show the world what true loving reconciliation looks like. I don't know if our world has that many great models I mean, maybe there are. Maybe there's some good models. But I don't know. I don't know if we have too many good examples of groups of diversity that love each other, that care, and that nurture each other, and help each other, and support each other. But if we can do this here in this church, I think we can do something significant in our nation. We need to be a part of this conversation. Let's not hide away from it. And let's not just be a vocal voice, you know, telling people how they're doing it wrong. Let's show them what it looks like. Show them what it looks like for people to come together, to love, to worship together. I think it's exciting. We don't do this just for diversity's sake. We don't do it just, uh, just because we can be a cool stat. Yeah, we hit the numbers. We're a multi-ethnic church. There's lots of reasons. One is because the food is better at a multi-ethnic potluck. All right, just is. All right, I'm just, just stating the obvious. But far more than that, the relationships. I think we're all enriched. We grow deeper. We become more whole. We become more who Christ has called us to be. So let's be a church that continues to embrace our DNA. Be a multi-ethnic church. Let's love, let's care. We're going to offend once in a while. But the upside is the forgiveness, the love, the relationship is so worth it. Amen?